1, we begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible said, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. I wonder what the Lord's seeing in our day. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. So be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? He said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it hath pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I want to take Jonah chapter number one tonight, and I want to borrow a phrase that uh, has been used in times past, and I want to preach on this subject, confession is good for the soul. Now I know we've lost uh, touch in our churches a lot nowadays with this uh, Bible term and and uh, this this thing called confession. 
I don't want us to look at it necessarily in the negative light, but do you know there is a blessing in confession? There are promises that are connected to our confessions to God. As a matter of fact, great things are wrought when we confess. Uh, what about Proverbs 28 and verse 13? He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy if you will confess your sin. Uh, Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Uh, what about John, 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a great blessing in this subject of confession. And uh, I think Jonah is brought to confession in chapter number 1 as they come to him and they say, what's this all about? Where are you from? What's your occupation? And he begins to confess in verse 9 and says, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which has made the sea and the dry land. And then the Bible said they knew uh, what he had done. So he was brought to the blessed place of confession. Now, I don't want to be too harsh with Jonah tonight. Uh, I don't want to take it too rough on him because, you know, there's a lot of good things about Jonah. As I look at his life here, I'm reminded of some things there that are, are uh, uh, amiable, some things that uh, are on the, on the good side. Uh, I thought about uh, how the Bible said in verse number 3 that he went down into the ship, but he paid the fare thereof. Well, I think that's pretty good. I know a lot of Baptists that are hoboing. They don't want to pay nothing. Uh, that's pretty good about Jonah. At least he's willing to pay his own way. If you're going to run from God, pay your own way at least. Uh, I thought about how Jonah, in the midst of this storm, was willing to take the blame for the situation. Uh, he's the one that got him into this mess, and when it comes time to... Uh, get out of this mess. He said, I'm the one you're going to have to deal with because I'm the one that God's after. He didn't blame it on anybody else. I think that's pretty good, don't you? And then we get on to Jonah, you know, because he slept. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I believe Jonah was a Baptist because he was asleep. But there's one thing about Jonah. He could be, uh, you could wake him up. And uh, it didn't take much. They got him awake and and uh, got things ironed out there. And so that's two or three things that are, that are uh, pretty positive about Jonah. Then I, I thought about a fourth thing that's positive about him. Jonah did disobey. He didn't listen to God the first time. But in uh, chapter number 2, the word of the Lord comes unto him the second time. Now, he didn't do it the first time, but he had sense enough to obey the second time. Boy, I, I fall under that category a lot of disobeying God, but I tell you, a lot of us ain't got sense enough to do it even the second time. God's got to come around and do something to us the third time, fourth time. We stay in a mess because we ain't willing to listen to what God has to say. There are probably several other things in there that's good about Jonah, but uh, those are enough for me. But I want to I look in Jonah chapter number 1, and I want to uh, look at the subject of confession, preaching on the thought, confession is good for the soul. Now, there are three, four things that I want to say about this subject of confession. 
I want to point out to you, first of all, that confessions are practiced. Confessions are practiced. Uh, in other words, many times you confess before you ever confess. By your actions and by your deeds and by your attitudes and by your words, people really know more about you than you really want them to know. And they're probably going to know more about you than you want them to know because of the, the activities that we are involved in. It brings forth a practice confession. Uh, it brings forth a revelation as to who we are and what we are and what we're doing and the direction that we're going in. I heard of an old preacher back up in the mountains that preached a message on why I, do, I know that I'm not going to hell. And his thought was because I'm not headed in that direction. Well, I'll tell you, the direction you're headed in is a confession about you. And before Jonah ever says anything with his mouth audibly, we know a lot about him because of what he does. If you'll notice in these verses that Jonah is confessing, he is practicing a confession in his actions. The Bible tells us that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He was fleeing in verse number 3. Well, if I see you running, if I can see the direction you're running in, then I can know something about you. He is fleeing. Jonah don't ever go in this direction. He's a pastor up there in Israel. Now he is fleeing down to Joppa. And I'm sure that several of the church folks said, where's the preacher going? He never been, he, he's fleeing. He's headed in a different direction. Well, that, that's a confession within itself. He's paying in verse number three. He goes down and he is, he is paying for the fare that he is, he is getting on board down here. He's not only fleeing, but he is paying. Can I say to you, if I know how you spend your money, I can also know a lot about you. What you pay for is a revelation of who you are. It is a confession. And Jonah is, is shelling out money, uh, getting on board a ship to get away from the presence of the Lord. It is a confession about him. He is fleeing. He is paying. And then the Bible said that he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, he's got in his mind that he can get away from God. Well, let me run this by you again. If I, can, if, if I know where you're going, where you're fleeing to, if I know what you're paying for, and if I can tell what you're thinking about, boy, that is a confession in and of itself. It is very much the practiced. I remember here a few years ago, I was talking to a fellow, and he was a member of a certain uh, group and lodge, and he said to me, he said, you know, or he wasn't talking to me, he was talking to a fellow that was there, I was just listening in. He said, you know, I get more out of the lodge meetings than I do going to church. <laughs> oh, what a confession that is. Be careful. You will confess before you want to confess. Did you ever hear somebody say, I can't afford the tithe. Oh, what a confession. That is a confession. 
Uh, that is uh, practice. That is evidence. So we see that Jonah's doing things right here that is revealing that things are not normal in his life. Uh, they're not like they're supposed to be. He's, he's shifting gears, headed in wrong directions, doing things that he, didn't, he doesn't normally do. He's moving out of the, the, uh, the bounds of his service for God and it becomes evident to everybody else. You know, we don't get by with, with as much as we think we do. Boy, I, you know, as a pastor of a church, and, and I'm not trying to say that I am a judge or, or I'm able to see everything that goes on, but I will say this, that many times I know that a person's getting out of the will of God before it's ever owned up to Many times I have confronted folks and said to them, you know, something seems to be wrong in your life. And of course they, they get on the defensive and they want to argue about it. But you see, it's when I begin to watch their lives. They, they start laying out a church on Sunday night and Wednesday night and then they won't show up so much on Sunday morning and, and uh, forget about Sunday school. And then, you know, just certain things. And it begins, there, there, there's a pattern that develops and they begin to confess to everybody. Now they think they're covering it up. We think we cover it up. Jonah thinks he's covering up, but I guarantee you there's some folks that knew a lot about what was happening in Jonah's life before he ever said anything about it. Because our confessions are practice as people watch how we live our lives and what we say and what we do. There is a confession with how we back up what we say. Our lives are evident before everybody. No man lives to himself, the Bible said. No man dies to himself. When we begin fleeing and we begin paying and we begin thinking, I tell you, and contemplating, I'm sure the, uh, the father knew that, the, that the, uh, the young son, the prodigal son, he knew that something was wrong before anything ever went wrong because the son began to think wrong. He began to plan wrong. He began to move in the wrong direction. Daddy knew what was coming on. Oh, I tell you, our Heavenly Father knows our hearts. Before we ever get off into the far country, before we ever get into sin, before we ever do these things, God knows it is evident in our lives. We may say one thing but do another, and God knows what we are doing. May it be so that our confession will line up with the life that we live and our life that we live will line up with our confession. We will practice, as someone said, we will practice what we preach. Practice what we preach. Because we confess many times before we confess. Confessions are practiced. Now, the second thing I want to point out to you is not only confessions practiced. Boy, I'll tell you, your neighbors know more about you than what you think. <laughs> They've been talking about you. You say, you know my neighbors? No, I don't know your neighbors, but they've been talking about you. <laughs> yeah, your family's been talking about you. I'm not going to tell you what they've been saying, but they've been talking about you. They know, they know. And your children will even get together and they'll talk about you. They'll talk about the life that you live and the life that you profess to live. Oh, they do. 
They do. <laughs> I'll tell you, the fellow that knows more about us than anybody is the, little, the old man that owns the country store where we do our business. Yeah, as the in the mountains. He knows a lot about us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good little preacher. And he said, yeah, he is, but he don't pay his bill. <laughs> huh? Yeah, they got a church full of saints over there, but they don't pay their bill. Huh? You know what? I'm practicing what we preach. We say we know the Lord Jesus. We say that he is our Savior. We say that we love him. And yet the principles of, of Christ are not abounding in our lives as they ought to be. I'm talking about confessions or practice. But the second thing that I want you to notice in, in verse number 4 down through verse number 9, confessions are prompted. Nobody likes to confess. Do you? Huh? <laughs> Nobody likes to confess. See, me and my wife would have always gotten along if she had always fess up. See? But you know why she don't fess up? Because she's waiting on me to fess up. And the big argument down through our marriage is neither one of us wants to fess up. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, you're grinning. You know what I'm talking about. Nobody wants to tell the truth on themselves. You know, as uh, our children are about grown now, Paul's the youngest, and back when they were just young, young, all four of them at home there, uh, anytime anything got missing, we would say, has anybody seen it? Nobody had seen it. Or even if we found it broken, who broke it? Nobody broke it. Or if it was left out in the rain and soaked, who forgot to bring it in? Nobody forgot to bring it in. Then no one would confess, and the bad part about it is my youngins wouldn't tell on one another. And so knowing how truthful and honest my children are, and that they never told a lie, me and my wife come to the conclusion that we had a ghost on three miles. And all of these things that were being misplaced and broken and missing was a ghost. And the thing about it is it's so spooky he even went with us on vacations <laughs> all around. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Nobody. See, we, nobody will say it. <laughs> I don't know which side of the political realm that you're on in this hour. Democrat or Rep I could care less. Somebody said right wing, left wing, who cares? They're all both connected to the same old bird, and I guess that's about right. All comes out the same way. But our president, he don't want to confess. He can't spit it out. He just can't say it. He said, if, you know, if is is what is, and ain't is what ain't, and all them other things, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, we weren't alone, I don't think. Yeah, we were alone, but I don't think we were alone. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. He don't want to confess. Nobody else, all the way down to me and you, honey. When it comes down to nitty-gritty, I don't vote to confess. I don't go around telling everybody what my faults are. 
But I tell you, I've got a heavenly father that knows how to back me up in the corner, honey, and he can bring a confession out of me. I remember the blessed day through Holy Ghost power conviction that God Almighty brought me to the place that I had to confess. And I said, yes, Lord, I'm lost. There have been many times since then when I've been wrong that God Almighty has hemmed me up and caused me to confess. Confessions are not easy. They are prompted. I mean, God has to prompt you. He has to force you uh, to confess as He wants you uh, to confess and as you ought to confess. And so Jonah is brought to a place of confession. Notice in verse number 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship... Boy, I'll tell you, you can get a man to talk and you let his ship start going down. Huh? You let his ship fix to get... I mean, he, when he begins to think that his world's falling apart and his ship's about to break... I don't know how many times, I'm not just talking about, I know in my own life, but I mean, as a preacher, I don't know how many times I've had men come to me when, when they thought their marriage was on the rocks and then they wanted to start confessing. Well, that's all right, that's a good time. I mean, man, before it goes under, confess. Uh, how many times has somebody uh, went to the doctor and the doctor said, listen, you, you, you're sick and, and, and you're very sick. And then they began to confess and get right with God. The Lord has extreme measures. He has what it takes to bring us to the place of confession. And so by force of nature, as God controls the elements, He stirs up a great wind which in in chain stirs up a great storm which in chain affects this little ship out there which even touches uh, the mariners that are on, on board and then they go down and they touch Jonah. So God, through a series of events, brings his servant to a place in force to bring him to, con uh, to confession. Notice in verse 5 and 6, the mariners were afraid. They were afraid and they cried every man to his God and cast forth the wares uh, that were in the ship into the sea to lighten them. them. And, but Jonah was asleep. And then they come down to him and, and they wake him up. You see, God has not only brought a confession about through force, but he has done it also through feelings. The emotions of these mariners, these hard, casing, no doubt, mariners who barely feared anything. God brought such a storm down upon them like they had no doubt never seen in their life. And when that storm came in upon them, they began to have emotions and they began to have feelings that they had never felt before. And, and through these feelings, they began to come together and then they get Jonah up and wake him up and, and they draw him into it. And Jonah said, yeah, I'm in Hebrew. And then he brought out his feelings. He said, I fear the Lord. He said, well, why, how come all of a sudden he's fearing God? Honey, you get on a ship out in the ocean somewhere and the waves are coming over top quicker than you can bail the water out and it'll bring fear on you. God knows how to work on the, not only the outside elements, 
but he knows how to get on the inside, into the heart, and bring us to the emotional state of which we will be glad, we will volunteer. <laughs> we want to testify. We've been running, now we're ready to testify. God has worked on the outside so he can get on the inside. And now we're shaking and we're trembling inside. And we're standing and saying, hold it just a minute. I want to tell you who I am. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. And I'm running from God. And the Lord's saying, yeah, Jonah, keep on going. Keep on going. That's what I want to hear. He's bringing a confession out of him through force and then through the feelings that, and the emotions. Oh, don't God get us to where we ought to be through not only the outward circumstances but the inward circumstances that bring pressure into the heart and bring us, close us in to the place of where we need to be and then we begin to make, uh, to get down to business with God Almighty. So it is prompted, but not only through that, it is prompted through the, the circumstances or the fate that is happening here. Uh, they begin to cast lots to see, in verse number 7, who is at fault. This was a custom then, and many times in the Old Testament, God uh, used this method. They might ought to use it in Congress in the, in the next month or two. Nothing else is working. Uh, but they would cast lots, kind of like kids drawing straws. Whoever gets the longest straw is it, or the shortest straw, ever how you would do it. But through through a providential means, as they draw these straws, wouldn't you know it, when they brought it out, that the lot, the straw fell onto Jonah's part, and he became the guilty one. As God worked the circumstances out, and, and as fate would have it, as God through providence would have it, he brings Jonah to the place of confession, and everybody now, everybody, could you imagine how Jonah felt? you imagine how Jonah felt when everybody is standing around looking at Jonah because they have come to the conclusion beyond any shadow of a doubt that the reason why they're losing everything they're losing and the reason why this ship is in the mess it is in and their lives are in danger is because of one man. Now, brother, that'll make you feel bad. That'll make you feel bad. God's bringing everything together. He puts everything together here. He puts it all together, and when it all comes together, it points at one man. One man. I like the old Negro spiritual that says, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. If you're having, let me just put this in right here. If you're having some severe situations and troubles tonight, who's the problem? Oh, you say, I'm going to tell you what, if my husband would get right, everything would be okay. If my neighbors would move and somebody else would buy that house, I think everything would be all right. And for us preachers, man, if we could get rid of one deacon, just one, just that one deacon. No, God's not working so he can point out everybody else in your life. God's working to point you out. Because I'm going to tell you, more times than not, if there's anything in your heart that's awry and wrong, if it's in there, it's your fault and nobody else's fault. My fault and nobody else's fault. God's never given us a license 
to take on feelings that are contrary to His Word and then blame it on somebody else. When God begins to put the pressure on us and brings it down, honey, we're going to have everything pointed toward us and we're going to know that we are the ones. That works not only in salvation, but that works in everyday Christian life. But I can remember back when I saved almost 30 years ago, I never had been in church much, maybe a time or two. Never read one verse of the Bible. I didn't know anything about God. Lived in a, uh, without a mama all my life and, and, a, and my dad an alcoholic. But through God's providence, I, I did go to church and for the first time heard the gospel. And the church that I went to is a little odd the way they did it. The preacher would preach and then the deacon would give the invitation. And just as a young boy, I sat back there through a couple of services and somebody asked me, and said, uh, what did you think of the service? I said, well, the service is all right, but that bald-headed deacon's got to go. That's the way I worded it. They said, well, what do you mean? I said, every time he gives an invitation, he points his finger right at me. Well, he wasn't pointing his finger right at me. God took the word and was pointing the finger right at me. <laughs> Somebody said, the preacher's been driving around, sneaking around, checking up on us. No, he ain't. Not a God-called man ain't going to do that. He's going to get in the Word and the Holy Ghost is going to open it up and he's going to get up and preach. And if it plows your roll, honey, you're just guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jonah could say, well, I wouldn't be in this mess if it wasn't for the Ninevites. And I wouldn't be in this mess if, if, if I hadn't got on this ship. And I wouldn't be in this mess, you know. But no, it wasn't that. God brought it down to where he couldn't blame anybody else but himself. It's a blessed day when all of God's church folks can only blame themselves. And so he does because, but you don't volunteer for that. God prompts it. He has to bring it about. And somebody said, well, what will he do to make me confess? Whatever it takes. He had to go to an extreme in Jonah's life. I don't know what it would take for my life or your life at times, but God knows, and, and he will. You may have heard the story of the preacher that had a family that lived beside of him and lived like hell and never would come to church, and he didn't... And so they went and got the preacher and they said, Preacher, come, hurry, pray, pray. Johnny's been bitten by poisonous snakes. We went over as quick as it could. And of course, they had the medics working on him. They said, Preacher, go ahead and pray. And he said, Okay. And he said, Oh, God. He said, I want to thank you for this snake. And I pray, Lord, you'll send bigger snakes and badder snakes. And I pray you'll bite everybody in the family. This is the first time they've ever been concerned about prayer. Do more to them, Lord. Well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, God's got bigger things and badder things. He knows He had a storm for Jonah. He had a rooster for Simon Peter. He knows what it takes to bring us to the place to say, God... You're right. You're right. Whatever you say is right. And so I say confessions are, are uh, practiced and confessions are, are prompted. But let me close with this note. Confessions are promising. Confessions are, they have a promise that are connected with them. Oh, the sweet, the bitterness of sin. Oh, oh, listen. Let me never uh, encourage sin because the price tag is too great. But do let me say this to you. If you have been caught up in sin, 
confession has a promise that is a blessing connected to it. There is hope for those who have fallen uh, arrived from God and have run for Him. There is hope for the prodigal son. All he has to do is confess and the Father is waiting. <laughs> Somebody said, yeah, but preacher, all that does is that encourages people to live in sin and then confess and then live in sin. <laughs> no, honey. If you've been to whale, you don't want to go back. You'll never go back. Uh-uh. One time is enough. That's all you'll need. You'll never want to go back. And I'm going to tell you something. David, yes, he did fall into sin. He confessed his sin. God forgave that sin, but it was over with. He didn't want to go that route again. And when God ever brings you uh, to genuine confession and the hope of forgiveness, what a, it's a sweet, sweet time with God. And, uh, but it is promising. There is a promise that is, is connected to to confession. There is a promise of evangelism. Look in verse number 16. Now you know these are pagan men that are aboard this ship that knew very little. Matter of fact, every man prayed to his own God. They were heathens and pagans. And Jonah's out of the will of the Lord on board that ship. The one time that they got a witness... He was backslidden one time. He's on board the ship as cold as cold could be. <laughs> Trying to get as far away from God as he can get. But he's the only witness they got. And notice verse 16. After Jonah has confessed and all the processes have taken place, the Bible said, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Well, I want to ask you something. When did these old heathen get right? They got right after Jonah got right. Now, I'm a, you know what? We talk about our president, and we talk about our country, and we talk about the moral conditions of which we live in and all these other things. But I'm going to tell you something, we can't expect the world to get right until we have gotten right. When this world sees the sincerity not of a stubborn heart that's full of religion and is so self-righteous and pious and is a Pharisee and hypocritical and always right. I'm going to tell you the problem that we have in our Baptist churches. We're too right. Too right. I said this one time in the church and the preacher got upset at me, but you'll understand what I'm saying. I, I said this, I said some of you folks are so right. And you know how the Pharisees were so right. I said it'd do you, it'd do you good to go out tonight and get you a fifth of liquor and get drunk and wall around and throw up all over yourself and realize who you really are and then really get right. Huh? You say, well, that preacher's promoting drink. No, I'm promoting getting right. <laughs> Pharisees had their hair cut right. They wore the right kind of clothes. They, did. they were too right for even Jesus. He was wrong in their sight, and they were right. I mean, we're so filled with religion, we're right. We're always right. We're never wrong. 
I'm going to tell you something. There is one who is right and always right and never wrong. And that is God and God alone. And if there is a difference between us and God, we're wrong. We're always wrong. And always will be wrong because God is right. Somebody said, pray for my church that they'll get right. No, 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 no. They don't need that. Pray for my brother and sister that they get right. No, don't pray that prayer. Pray for my neighbors they'll get right. No, don't pray that. Pray that they get wrong. And if they ever really get wrong, then they'll get right. Hmm? You know what the prodigal son did before he ever got right? He got wrong. <laughs> Didn't he? When he came to himself, he said, I, look, he said I, I'm just an old sinner. Look at how many hired servants in my father's house have bread and unsparing. And look at me. I'm going to go and tell him I've sinned against heaven and before you. Amen. He said, I'm wrong, Daddy. Amen. Amen. Daddy said, no, son, you're right now. <laughs> huh? Oh, if we could ever get wrong and let God be right, then we'd get right. There is a promise of evangelism. Much is lost in our sin, but oh, there's so much gained in our confession. As, as others, these men, all they saw was a confession. And it was a confession that turned them around. Confession. Honest, open-hearted confession before God of how weak and frail that we are. And sinners looking on, when they see that, God uses that in their hearts. You know, I think we're afraid that we want to we wanna be so... We're afraid that sinners are going to see that we're not good. But it might help them to hear that we're not good and to see that we're not so good. I'm talking about in an honest heart of confession before God. There is evangelism in it. But not only that, there's expectation in our confession. I said confessions are promising. There's evangelism in it. God speaking to hearts through an honest heart. But there is, there, is, there is also expectation in it. Look in verse 17. You see, our confession doesn't mean it's over. We know that Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Uh, my wife brought it to my attention. I was uh, preaching some on the prodigal son. She said, honey, you know, I've never... Uh, we always talk about how the son got back to the father's house and everything was made right and what a beautiful picture it is. But she said, you know, uh, whatsoever a man sows, that he also, shall he also reap. She said, I wonder what diseases and things like that that the old boy brought back to the father's house. I had never thought about that. But you know it had to be so. Had to be so. David, when he fell into sin, the, the repercussions that came as a result of dealing in sin. You don't just confess and, and what you have done goes away. The scars of it, you bear those things. Yes, God forgives, but we bear those things. But, at the same time, there's expectation when we confess before God. Look in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. You say, when I'm preaching, what kind of hope is there in a whale? Well, you do know 
that if that whale hadn't have been there, Jonah would have drowned him. Whale may be bad, but it ain't so bad if it's going to save your life. Huh? <laughs> I can think of a lot of better ways to ride, but I mean, if that's the only way to get out, that's all right with me. Yeah, I mean, this ain't, this ain't a Cadillac, but it's life, it's living. And he's getting out and he, Jonah has confessed. And when he confesses, he says to those men, he said, the only thing I can tell you to do is I've sinned against the Lord and if you want to stop this thing, just throw me overboard. And you know what he was doing? He was casting himself upon God when he threw himself overboard. He knew that within himself there were, it was over with, but yet he, he brought it out and open. He cleared it up. There was no more he could do about it. Now he was totally in the hands of God. Boy, I tell you, I can't tell you the thousand things that can come out of a past that I've come from or a past that you've come from, but I can tell you the expectation of hope is is once you have confessed the Lord Jesus, you are in His hands and in His mercy. He knows how to deliver us. And so He is brought out by the mercies of God and He is, he is delivered by basically His judgment. The Lord prepared a fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He had confessed. His confession was practiced. His confession was prompted. And, but his confession was promising. And boy, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing like the fragrance of a new day after you've spent some time along with the Lord and poured out your heart before Him and confessed what was in your life and no one else's. There's great hope and great expectation in standing before God Almighty and making your confession before Him. Whatever that that confession needs to be when you confess it. When's the last time that you just bowed on your knees and done some confessing as to who He is what He means to you, who you are, and what He's done in your life. I'm going to tell you something. Confession is always good for the soul. Yes.